I am really dry right now. Oh, the kitty. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Radically Loved Radio. Uh, the end of the year, I'll tell you things are going to start to get a little weird around here because Tessa and I are just trying to wrap it all up so we can be done for the year, right? Oh, amen. Yes. <laughs> it's been quite a year, hasn't it? In so many ways. I think we're all ready for 2020 to be over and yes, um, welcoming whatever 2021 brings because it's got to be better, right? It's got to be better. I mean, honestly, here's what I say. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't believe in rock bottom because I just, I believe that, you know, rock bottom is basically like death. I, I think that mm. where we're at, it's like, if you start from the bottom, it's only uphill. Like it's only moving up. Like you only can succeed and progress and things are only better when you're at the bottom mm -hmm. because shit rolls downhill, yeah. right? So yeah. we're already at the bottom. So anything <laughs> that happens it's in the coming better. is going to be epic. You know, there's so yeah. many people in the wellness world that I know that had all of these predictions about there was going to be massive rioting and there was going to be this huge surge of just the world was going to end. And, um, albeit there are still some shit happening in the world that is of concern, but, um, but we're all still here, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, we're the planet's still here. The near the the object that was flying towards Earth missed us. It turned out to be space junk. If anybody follows NASA, I do. Ooh. And I was very concerned uh, a couple of nights ago. I was like, <laughs> wait, there's an object. They don't know what it is. And now they've identified it as space junk. What does that mean exactly? Like a piece of a spaceship? Yeah, it was off? like a it was a piece of a launch rocket, like a uh, some some sort of thing. Okay. It's not like an asteroid or garbage space. Correct. Garbage. Yeah, it's not space garbage. I don't know if there's any garbage out in space. I would imagine we must have put it there at some point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I oh mean, my God, we're terrible. Like, what a concept. It's true. Space junk. Um, okay. So the other thing that I wanted to, I didn't even actually talk about anything. I was going to say the other thing that I wanted to bring up. Oh, I was talking about that. Just you know, it's the end of the year. Thanksgiving was awesome. I got to see my in-laws. They came down from Oregon and we spent some time together. And I was unfortunately preoccupi preoccupied because my book deadline was impending and which is now done. Yay. Let's celebrate more to come. And, uh, I was, I was busy writing, so I didn't really get to spend as much time with them as, as I would have liked. But, uh, but I finished and we had a great holiday. We cooked, uh, Tori and I made some really delicious food and, and that's it. And we're, it's probably just going to be Tori and I for, for Christmas and, and the rest of the holidays this, yeah. this year. That's what I'm thinking. Same yeah. Jorge and I are, we're kind of trying to decide because Christopher, our nephew who lives with us is, is actually going to Mexico for Christmas. So oh. We haven't spent a Christmas alone in the past. I think it's been like five years. Wow. So maybe staycation, maybe a little road trip. I don't know. We'll see. Huh. Uh, I'm curious if um, 
I'm curious what that will be like. I know. Wait, for Christopher to go to Mexico or to- No, for you guys to just have your own time. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like, well, we're starting to transition into this idea of empty nester syndrome almost because he he came here to live for high school. Um, He's from Mexico to, to learn English, to get a different education and- um, and now we're talking about having a move out, which we actually ended up having that conversation over Thanksgiving oh. dinner, which how was do- intense. Wow. <laughs> how, how does that, wow. What is that? How did that go? Uh, well, it was a little <laughs> like, I think it, you know, it was lightened by one of our good friends was there to kind of break the ice and um, joke about it. Like, oh, you're getting kicked out. And he said it funny and, oh. and they all laughed, but they're all dudes. Yeah. And me being the sensitive one, I'm like, oh, God, there's got to be a better way to say this. We're not kicking you out. <laughs> um, and so we we ended up talking about it. Like, yeah. And I and I think it was good because now he has this idea of um okay, I should start thinking about maybe a roommate or uh, saving more money or uh, what is that going to look like? Not living in the safety Yes. Nest. Yeah. So he's 19. I mean, it's different. I, I think it's different for him because in, in the culture of Mexico, oftentimes oh, three generations I, of family. Like, are you kidding? My, one of my, my, I call, he's basically my brother. He, he lived with his mom for until he was close to 40. Yeah. I mean, then that's, you know, normal ish. Right? And my uncle actually still lives with my grandma <laughs> technically. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's cultural and it's a sweet thing. And, um, eh. and yeah. And it's not, you know, for me, it just doesn't work for her. It's not going to work. Yeah. So. What, uh, when did, how, how old were you when you moved out? Oh, I was, um, 17, 18. I was ready to go. I was, you know, I was applying for colleges. I actually asked my parents to send me to boarding school when I was like 12. Wow. <laughs> but I just kind of wait to grow up. I just wanted yeah. to leave. So <laughs> as soon as I was a senior in high school, I was like applying to all of my colleges and just was like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. That, so did you go live on campus? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, you had the whole experience. It That's was awesome. so fun. Gosh, if you are out there trying to make that decision, that is the best thing I ever did was, was move out. It's such a nice way to transition from living at home yeah. to being in the real hard world where you have to pay all your bills and cook all your food yeah. because you can walk to the cafeteria. You have all of your friends right there. It's such a nice transition. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to, I, I think Reggie, my little sister will, uh, she's 22. She, uh, is living with my older sister now she lived with me for a while now she's living with my older sister and I think we're she wants I think she wants to move out I think she wants to go have the full college experience but man I mean I I don't know like it and right now obviously with with COVID and everything I'm sure a a lot of on on campus living I, I don't actually know what the deal is I think she tried to tell Tori and I at one point and I just kind of tuned it out. I'm like, not my problem. I don't have to ever worry about that ever again. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it's really, it's a really intense thing. Yeah. I moved out when I was, I I wasn't even 18 yet when I moved out. Uh, I was 17, I think. And where did, did you go to 
to live on the dorms? Did you- yeah, no, no, no. I didn't go to college until like my early 20s. So okay. unfortunate, I should say fortunately, I was already in a relationship. But unfortunately, yeah, I didn't get to have that experience because I was already Tori and I were already living together. Oh, so, okay. Gotcha. So I I had the whole college experience, but it was, you know, I was working a full time job. Mm-hmm. I was going to school full time. I was in a relationship like I was trying to do the most to yeah. just stay out of trouble. But but and yeah, but instant adulthood right there. I mean, full time job. Full-time I mean, I was an instant adult when I turned 10. Let's be honest. Right, right. Which is something that happens to. <laughs> <all of us. laughs> yes. um, yeah, but it's one of those experiences that, yeah, like I, I just it's a romantical thing that I that and going abroad, studying abroad was <sighs> always yes on my bucket. Did you go do that? I did. Yeah. <gasps> Where did you go? I went to Japan, which <sighs> was again, one of the, the most wonderful experience. It's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life was studying abroad. And that's another thing that I highly recommend doing. If you're in college study abroad, it gives you such an, you know, just like traveling does, but this is different because you're living there for a period of time. You're studying there, you meet friends, you, you meet family that you'll have for the rest of your life and experiences that you aren't going to get anywhere else. Yeah. And, um, and, and going to Japan was such a different, it was a different world. It was so cool. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I've always, I mean, I've been to, to Japan before, um, with Tori, um, but, but I'm sure it's a different experience when you're out there and you actually get to immerse yourself in the culture and Mm -hmm. everything. Like, it's not just, Oh, we were there for a week you know, you don't really get an experience truly. Um, Right. Right. And depending on what city you go to, what city were you? We were in Tokyo. Yeah. And see, to me, like we lived in this little town called Okayama, which is on the same island as Tokyo, but going to Tokyo doesn't really feel like, to me, it doesn't really feel like quintessential Japan because it's such a hodgepodge. Like if you go to New York, New York's not representative of the whole United States. I mean, what state is, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always, and especially I'm such a matcha and tea super freak. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a friend who um, is family. He's Japanese and his whole family, like he comes from like a third or fourth generation uh, matcha, like uh, green tea farmers. Oh, cool. And he's invited Tori and I several times to come out to Japan to you know, just go see the farm, you know, to go have that tea immersion experience. You go to see the farms and you can really just have a tea ceremony. And to me, that's like a dream. Yeah. Um, all right. We're literally going. So everybody listening. Hi, are you still there? Great. So, <laughs> <laughs> so today's, today's episode, um, is really incredible. Um, Rebecca Tossig is the author of Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary Resilient Disabled Body. She explains how stories influence policy decisions and shape the experiences of people with disabilities, discrimination. Um, She talks about, you know, different assumptions that people may have. 
she about people with disabilities. She shares how to tell more inclusive stories that reflect the breadth of their experience and knowledge. Um, so I obviously, did you listen to the episode or not yet? I have. Yeah. What did you think? Oh, I, well, first of all, I just, any, any kind of story telling, uh, yes. And so her particular story from such a different perspective was, it just resonates with me in so many ways. Um, and she said something, um, that really struck a chord. She said, storytelling, it is about solving all the world's problems. Well, she didn't say it exactly like that. I'm butchering it, but this is what I got out of it. Um, she was saying like, storytelling is it. And by, by way of storytelling, by narrative, we find this deeper human connection with one another, this empathy that we don't have you know, when we're going out grocery shopping necessarily, like people, yeah. we, people we pass by in the street, we don't see, always see them as having this human experience. And so she talks about how storytelling is so, so important in bridging that gap and making that human connection. Um, and how that's how you start to see things differently. And yeah. um, I just finished reading, speaking of storytelling, oh my God, I just finished reading American Dirt. Oh, <gasps> so good right I I started I haven't finished Whoa. it because I was in a but Tori read it he loved it is it so good it's so good oh. I mean heart pounding blood racing through my veins w- woke up at 4 45 a.m this morning to finish it what wow because <laughs> I like couldn't you know how I feel about mornings yeah, yeah. I couldn't wait to finish it and um and it's just such a this is something that happens every day happening right now. It's a story of people immigrating to the United States by way of coyotes, by way of walking through the desert. And mm-hmm. it's such a dangerous thing to do. And, you know, when people get to the United States, then what do they do and why are they leaving? And it, you know, it, it just humanizes that whole experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm excited. Tori loved it. Um, and I have it, but again, I've not had an opportunity to pleasure read, which I'm, I've got a stack of books that's up to my hip that I need to read so many different and, and, um, oh, I don't have them here, but yes, uh, that's, that's and a Mexican Gothic is another one that's on my list. I just ordered that. I'm you so did. Excited. Yeah. There's another one too that, okay. So we've got some great, Oh, if we can start a little book club, maybe we should start Ooh, talking. We? Yes. That would be yes, awesome. Please. Okay. So going back to Rebecca, um, just because I'm sure you guys want to listen to the episode. Um, my favorite part, uh, from the interview was how, you know, she talks about this notion of normal and how an ideal body is fiction. And she, she, she talks about it being a, a punishing fiction and, and how, um, the, the ultimate goal was for her to get to a place where she felt empowered in her being and in her body. And, um, I think it's just, it's really incredible. And I think it's a story that will resonate with anybody who's ever had to overcome an adversity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I'm really honored to, have her on the show. And I'm so glad that you guys are here. You guys, it's almost done. We've got just three and a half more weeks to go little less, and we will be in a new year. So hang in there. 
we love you and we will not see you guys. Maybe we'll see you guys. We won't see you, but we will be here chatting to you guys in your ear next week. We all want to do the right thing to keep our bodies healthy in the long run. But even if we try really hard to eat kale salads all day long and drink green smoothies, we're still most likely not getting all the essential nutrients that we need on a daily basis. Enter Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. No shady additives or ingredients that can do more harm in your body than good. In just two easy-to-take capsules, they provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. And since I've been using Ritual, I feel extremely supported in my overall health. There's so many vitamins that I tend to lack in, like vitamin D3 or omega-3s. Ritual's Essential for Women helps fill the gaps in women's diets. They also have a no-nausea capsule that is designed to be able to take on an empty stomach. And there's a little mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh so you don't have to get that weird aftertaste after you take an omega-3. And the best part is that Ritual is delivered. A subscription is easy to start and it's easy to snooze. It's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients that your body needs delivered every month with no strings attached. Better health doesn't happen overnight. And right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com forward slash loved to start your ritual today. That's 10% off of your first three months at ritual.com forward slash love. Visit ritual.com forward slash love to get 10% off of your first three months. And now back to our show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Radically Loved Radio. I am joined by a very special guest. And after so many <laughs> moving parts of a schedule, I finally, I'm like, um, I finally nailed her down. No, I'm just kidding. It's been a, a freaking nightmare. Um, so thank you so much for being here. We have Rebecca Tossig on the show today. She is a writer. She is the writer of Sitting Pretty, which was one of the most inspiring books that I read in the last, in this, I mean, obviously this year has been crazy, but your story was absolutely inspiring to a lot of people who are just going through any type of struggle, any type of um, adversity that people are wanting to overcome. So first of all, thank you so much for writing it. And thank you so much for being for being here today. It's happening. Yeah. I'm so happy to be here. We made it. Oh, we did. We did. Thank you so, for having me. Of course. And, you know, I, and I follow you on Instagram and I always love how, you know, there was a, a moment in time, I think maybe two, two scheduling podcasts ago, I, I went through and I just, you are such a incredibly talented writer. And I, you know, you're, you're so honest about your experience and so open about it that it just, I, I feel like whenever I read anything that you write, like I'm sitting with a friend and we're just like having a conversation. And I think oh, that's, a, that's a gift, right? So for the people that are listening to this podcast, don't know who you are. Do you want to just tell them a little bit about your background, your story, and uh, maybe even a little bit about what your book's about? 
Sure. Yes. Okay. Um, my story and background. Well, I mean, I guess we could start all the way back in, uh, in 1989 when I, um, had cancer and, um, as a three-year-old, uh, well, actually as a, um, as 14 month old and into my, um, my, uh, toddler years, um, was going through chemo and radiation and surgeries, um, that ultimately led to my paralysis at a really young age. Um, and, you know, I, I navigated the world the best that I could in a way that made sense to me. Um, and um, as I got older, I sort of um, started to absorb some narratives about myself as a disabled person and where I fit in the world and, um, or where I didn't fit in the world, I guess we could say. And it wasn't until um, I was in my late 20s, so fast forward, decades, a couple decades, um, when I was in graduate school and started reading um, some critical theory on disability studies and rethinking what it meant to live in a particular body and um, the ways that our bodies um, shape us, but the way our environments shape us as well and the relationship between the two. And um, I just started rethinking a lot of things about myself and how I saw myself in, in, in the world and what my body meant to me. Mm -hmm. um, and that led to the Instagram account that you, um, that you mentioned um, where I, yes, you're right. I am like uh, honest to a point that I consider almost reckless. Like, why do I keep telling people <sighs> all of these things, the most vulnerable things that I keep doing yeah. it, um, which is like kind of excruci excruciating, but also like, the the most important thing um it's the the thing that drives me forward is the connections that come through that vulnerability yeah yes that space that can't see it seems like that those kinds of connections just can't be achieved without the vulnerable part unfortunately yeah, I know um, and so that space on Instagram ended up um kind of sprawling out expanding beyond the Instagram space into the book sitting pretty um and ultimately what I'm doing in the book, it's told from the perspective of my disabled self, you know, that's the body I live in, the, the, the lens through which I see everything. Um, but it's really, it's about my experiences in that body and, and then ultimately just asks a lot of questions and, and prompts us to think together um, about bodies as a whole and um, the, the inherent gifts and limitations of all of those bodies um, and kind of how we might imagine together a better world that actually cares for the bodies that we live in. Yeah. Uh, all of them, you know, um, disabled and then, you know, somewhere else on the spectrum. Um, so each chapter kind of looks at a different theme. Um, it, I, I have a chapter on like love and romance and work and healthcare and money and, um, feminism and yes. um, the intersections of those identities. So, yes. Um, we cover a lot of territory, but yes. not a lot of answers. It's really a, it's a, it's a book that is full of personal stories and a lot of questions. I think. Yes. Which is what to me personally, that's what I love. Like to me, I love the probing questions that leave you thinking about your own role, your own perspective, like what your own, um, beliefs are or how you view certain things, you know, like one of my grandparents was disabled. And so I, I know what it's like to have to think in advance, where are we going? Do they have 
handicap accessible um, or disabled accessible? Do they have how many floors are we going? Where are we going to park? Is it, you know, things that you have to think about in advance that most people, you know, that have never experienced that don't really have to think about. And even just that thing, um, can, can create a certain level of anxiety. It can cause a certain level of stress and yeah, I mean, I, back to your point, I think that asking those questions to me was really eye-opening. You know, even, even somebody like me that thinks I'm really open-minded and there's a lot of stuff in there that I was like, wow, like I've never thought about that, you know? And to me, I feel like what is going to create a deeper connection. I'm all about connection. I'm all about people connecting with each other. I'm all about people, um, seeing how we are more alike than how we are different, uh, to really examine, the things that are our blind spots that we don't think about, because that can create a pathway to connecting with somebody else's experience. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions that I have for you, I'm not, I'm literally like going to ignore my list of questions here because I'm actually really curious about how, how you see what is happening right now in the world where there's so much disconnection, so much separation, so many differences, like, from your perspective, like, how do you, do you see this getting better? And what do you think the main issue is? Oh, that's a question that like gets right to my gut. Cause that's the, that's the, I mean, like, that's a question that we're all asking in one way or another, right? Like, is this, are we getting, is this getting better? Like, are we moving in a direction that's toward unity and close yes. like, care? And, um, and I think that you know, it depends on what time of day you ask me that question. <laughs> um, I will answer differently. Uh, maybe what part of the hour? I mean, these days, oh, good grief. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a part of me that is just stubbornly hopeful. Sometimes I think naive. I don't know again, depending on when you ask me, uh, that has to believe that we are, that has to believe that even when um, it looks like everything's falling apart, that there's something stronger underneath and deeper that is, is um, that within humans, that we do have a desire to connect and we want, um, we want connection and, and beauty and, um, and care and um, creativity. I, I have to believe that that's ultimately what, what we are striving for, but there are very real ways, um, especially recently where I feel like there are beliefs or, um, patterns in humanity almost that I thought we were past that. I thought we figured out that I thought like, don't we know better? Haven't we, haven't we learned our lesson? And then to have this jarring, just like smack in the face recognition that like, we don't, that this is something that is still like, we're at ground zero. We're, we're starting from scratch. Um, so I, I, I waffle back and forth. I feel like I get whiplash sometimes by how quickly I, I, I am pulled from one belief to the other, which I guess speaks yeah. to more of that, that feeling that we have all the time of that, like um, huge divide. I mean, um, yes. 
I, I, I don't know. I, I am hopeful. I, and I guess that it ultimately for me, it comes down to like, there is enough. It almost feels like there's enough evidence on both sides to say, uh, we are, we are going to get there. And, and also we're screwed. Like, I feel like there's enough evidence on both sides. And so I'm just having to say, I'm hoping that it's the one where we're moving in the right direction. And I'm going to like cling to that. Yes. Like I'm in the middle of a tornado and this is my one rope to the ground. And, yes. um, and I'm just going to continue to, uh, live as if that's true with the hope that that's where, where we Yes. Oh, I love that. I I'm so with you on the back and forth of how you would answer that question. Every hour is different. And I like to feel like I'm pretty well grounded in my practice and, and loving one another and just loving people. And, you know, then I get that hour where I'm like, what the fuck, Mm -hmm. what is happening here? Like what is happening? Um, so anyway, I don't want to get too morbid, but, uh, let's, let's come back to your story. (laughs) I know, right. Especially right now. I just feel like, you know, I, I, I have to personally ground myself in that optimism as well. And just knowing that at our core, everybody just wants what's best. Everybody just wants what's best. And I think that the more we look at how we are more the same, we can, we can mutually find a solution to issues that are nebulous, especially during this tumultuous time. You know, one of the things that, uh, I wanted to ask you as well is, you know, in your, in your life, you know, you, especially too, as a woman, it's like, you're a woman, but then you also have to deal with, uh, all these other, uh, layers of, uh, obstacles. Um, so it's like, okay, yeah, let's just stack them all up and just see how we can deal, you know, what has been the most difficult. And I think I, I kind of know what your answer is going to be, but what, which, which one do you think has been the most difficult hurdle to overcome, uh, in your life? It could be as of recent, or it could just be in general and, what reservoir did you pull from to get through it? Hmm. Oh, I love that question. That's such a good question. Um, also, I want to know what you think I'm going to answer because I don't know what I'm going to answer yet. <laughs> um, I think uh, the first thing that comes to my mind um, is kind of general, but I, I think it, uh, so maybe I'm cheating in my answer, but um, I think the assumptions that the assumptions that people make um, about not just me, um, but I think anybody who looks or moves like me, um, the assumptions about what my life is, what I'm Mm -hmm. capable of, what my quality of life is. That's a term that's coming up a lot these days. Mm. Uh, What my quality of life is, um, what my hopes and dreams are. Um, I, I think that when you live in a really visually disabled body that comes with just a host of assumptions that people make as soon as you enter a room. Um, And, and people, it's not just feeling the brunt of that assumption on me personally, individually in any given moment, but I think a lot of 
um, decisions are made about the way that we shape and create our world, um, both in the physical landscape, but also in um, the stories we tell, in the um, the ways that we make decisions in in a healthcare setting, um, in an educational setting. Um, there are so many assumptions made about what it means to live as a disabled person mm -hmm. um, that are not, not, I would say not true. They're just not nuanced. They're not flexible enough. They're not complicated enough. Um, and so then you get people making decisions from that space of assumption um, that these people must want cures, that they must not want to live in the lives that they have, that they must not be capable of very much, that they must be inherently dependent. All of these narratives that come with um, uh, an immediate reaction to uh, disability, um, that to me is an enormous obstacle. Um, because if, if the narrative is, is in place and fixed and loud, um, there, like that's that's the thing that's shaping the world around us that's the that's the, the narrative is making decisions about um policy and infrastructure um and so to me i think i think that's part of why i feel so it's why i feel like storytelling is so important um uh in writing and literature and in film and all the media that we consume um because if we can change that narrative and bring disabled people into our communities as people just like any other kind of person with a complicated life full of highs and lows and everything in between. Um, I think that that is the thing that will begin to sh shift some of these other more tangible um, obstacles that we can pinpoint, you know, we can point specifically to a building that's inaccessible or um, a policy that doesn't um, make space or room or, or acknowledge um, a disabled person's experience. So I don't know if that's what you thought I was going to say, but I think that would be um, what I would point to, which is kind of a big gnarly thing. Yeah. I mean, yes. Uh, to me, even in what you're saying, it, it brings up, there was a, a post that you did about a hospital visit while you were pregnant, where you are talking about um, you're just, again, posing those questions. They're asking you a slew of questions that you've answered before. And it's just kind of bringing you back into that mental space of, oh, like this is so, something about me is wrong, right? Or, or not normal or whatever the fuck normal is. <laughs> but that, that conversation about how disabled women were treated or disregarded, you know, that the disregard comes from lack of knowledge. And I think that's exactly what you're saying, you know, and to me, that was a really poignant thing because as women, it's so hard just to already not feel broken with society, the way it is with culture, the way it is. It's like, regardless of whatever your own experience is, you're already like broken. Yeah. Right. So, which I find horrific. And if anything needs to change, it's that. And I, and I feel like slowly, you know, with the body positive movement and the overcorrection that can happen and how people feel about certain things, like this is a whole separate conversation, but I really do believe that the more that we have this conversation, the more awareness and the more education that we can have to uplift everybody, you know, and to show real women and how real women experience things, real women's 
bodies, real women's experiences. Um, so that, that was really poignant for me. I'm, I'm in the middle of a, uh, fertility journey, you know, I have been for the last three years. And so for me, it's, it's, as I was reading your book, that that's what was poignant for me, you know, like that feeling of, oh, my body's not, my body doesn't work. My body's broken, you know? And there's this, that all of the stuff that comes up with that. And, you know, the, the way the society glorifies you know, you have to look a certain way. You have to be young. Getting older is, is frowned upon, you know, all of that stuff. So I, I know I'm kind of, I'm going on a tangent. I want you to tell me all your thoughts on everything. Basically, <laughs> Here we go. No, I, I was saying yes, yes. Not to affirm what you were saying about like you're broken. I, I hope that was clear. Oh, yes, I, what course. I was saying yes to is like, I'm so glad that you saw yourself and and we're thinking about that when you read the book, because to me, that is exactly what I, that is exactly what I would hope for readers is that you would be able, because all of us are living in bodies that, um, that intersect this conversation in one way or another. They do. I mean, there's not a single body that doesn't, if only from what you just said about, like, it's frowned upon to age. Hello. We are like all aging in real time, right? This second, like, this is the, this is the nature of the game. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to make, to, to connect on that and hopefully had a space to process that in a, in a positive way. Um, because this is, this is the nature, this is, this is having a body and we just, the way that we have talked about it and described it for so long, um, is so limiting um, and, and doesn't acknowledge the endless complexities of all of our bodies and the unexpected turns of them. Um, like we're, we're like this fiction that, um, I mean, you were saying that it was a tangent, but like thinking about all of the ways that women's bodies have been marked as deviating and like, yes, not what they're supposed to be. And like, whose body fits in the tiny circle of what it's supposed to be. Like none of them, none of them, because even if they do for like half a minute, now you're, now you're four years older and now, it's, now you're out of the school. Like this is a system that punishes every single person. Yes. What is I that about? I mean, I think about, I think about it too, in, in terms of, um, artistry or, or singers or, or musicians or artists where it's a young person's game, right? It's like the young, it's, young people get celebrated and I'm not trying to be an ageist or anything. Listen, I know we have a lot of young listeners to the show. I'm just saying, look, this is what you have to look forward to. Okay. Look at how wise we are. We're incredible, inspiring women. So kudos to you for being here. You're learning. Um, (laughs) But I'm saying it's such an interesting place to be in because it's conditioning. It's conditioning of how we are raised when there isn't, uh, uh, you know, a, a prevalent source of exploring other experiences, you know, whether, whether it be uh, physical, whether it be disability, whether it be phenotype, whether it be cultural, mm-hmm. I think that the more we can be open uh, to other people's experiences, the more awareness we can, the more insight I think we have on our own life and our, our own knowledge for our own 
path, our own spiritual awareness, you know, whatever it may be, you know, and I love what you said about how, yeah, posing those questions and in a sense, what you're doing is you're changing how we feel about something by telling us a story, you know, and I can't remember who said this, so I'm not trying to take somebody's quote, but, and I'm totally going to butcher this for sure. So with that disclaimer, if you want to change somebody's mind about something, you can't ever change somebody's mind, but you can change the way that they feel. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's why I love story. That's why I love talking to inspiring people like yourself, because even in, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, um, Dr. Paria Hasori, she is a pediatrician whose uh, daughter or son decided to transition to, to being a girl because he felt like he was a girl. Um, so she is having this experience as a mother of a trans teen now. And to me, it's like, I'm not a parent. I don't have a teenager, but I still resonated so much with that story. There was so much of that awareness again of our blind spots. I mean, that's truly what kept coming up for me, even when I was reading your book as well. It's like, wow, like I never thought about that. I I've never, I've never thought about this this way. And wow, what an awareness, because now I can have, not only have I integrated your experience and we don't know each other, right? But now I've integrated your experience and now I can, I, I can feel like I have now a, a different perspective when I talk to somebody who is disabled or if I'm, I, I've had uh, women at retreats and at my yoga classes where they've emailed and said, I really want to come to your retreat, but you know, is it going to be an issue? And I'm like, no, no. I, I again, growing up with a parent that, or a grandparent that's disabled, I was like, no, there are many things that you can do. You can absolutely, absolutely do yoga and you will be absolutely fine. And hear all, all, all the information that you need. If you want to research it on your own, you know, I just want to, to, be able to make things as inclusive as possible. And I think that having that awareness, the more that we have that awareness on a global scale, I think the, the, again, more connection we'll have with each other. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I do. I think so. I think storytelling, um, I mean, are we just solving all the world's problems right now? I feel like storytelling <laughs> is it. Like, I, I mean, I actually, I really do believe that storytelling is, is the thing. It's like, especially these days, I feel like so many of us are so caught up in our brains and like, we already know the answer. And this is what I think about yeah. everything. And, and, you know, you're over there and you already have your answers and we're just sort of like talking at each other really loudly. Um, but I think there's something about stories human stories, personal stories that like, they're like the sneak attack. They like go underneath that, you know, they like, they're like taking you off guard by, by you feeling something you didn't anticipate to feeling or, um, and I think that that is how you start to see things differently. Um, I think that's the, that I do. I think that that's one of the most powerful things that we have access to. Well, thank you. So awesome. I knew this would be a great conversation. 
Life can be stressful even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Just 30 days of Headspace lowers stress by 32%. And just four sessions can reduce burnout by 14%. Sometimes people ask, why would a meditation teacher need a meditation app? And that's simple. I don't want to always be hearing myself in my head. It's nice to hear the guidance of somebody else guiding you through a journey. And we all deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash loved. That's headspace.com slash loved for a free one month trial with access to Headspace full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash loved today. If you can share three, that was me clapping, by the way, I'm saying that to the producer. He's going to think that there's going to be a cut in there. No, don't cut anything. This is just me clapping. Um, What are three things that you could share with the people listening to this podcast that have, that, that have, they haven't read your book. They maybe have never experienced anything that we're talking about. Um, What are three takeaways that you can, you can give them to, maybe open their minds a little bit more or deepen their understanding from the book. Yes. From the book. Um, Okay. All right. Three, here we go. Um, I think one, um, I think um, this notion of a normal ideal body, um, is a fiction. Um, I think it's a punishing fiction um, and continuing to strive for or, or hold that up as somehow um, the ultimate goal is uh, as a punishing, punishing exercise. Um, so that's one. Um, I think um, when uh, typically um, Disability is thought of as sort of this um, fringe fringe experience to sort of accommodate on the side um, of of every uh, on the side as opposed to like um, the center, the hub of everyday life. So we have like our our normal everyday life, and then let's have these accommodations, you know, out the side of the building or um, something tacked on as an addendum. Um, and I think that when we bring the disabled body, um, in all of its variant forms, right? Like I live in a pretty, um, um, I don't know, almost like stereotypical disabled body. Like the wheelchair symbol is literally the, the thing that's like on the parking spaces. But like, I mean, when we bring all of our disabled experience, uh, bodies and minds into the center, um, from vision impairment and um, and cancer and seizures and autism spectrum and um, and depression and, and mental illness, like when we bring all the disabled bodies to the center, I think that that benefits everyone. I think that that is the um, that is the move that creates a more sustainable, flexible, caring, connected world. Um, I think that that is a space for imagination. I think that that is the spark that, that leads to innovation. I think that that is, um, 
that I think that that is that's magic right there. Mm. Um, and what's my last thing? Um, Hmm. I, I think I'm trying not to overlap here. Cause I feel like I, those are some big ideas. Um, they are big ideas. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess, you know, this one would be a little bit more specific. Um, I, I want us to be, um, like as, as people, um, less afraid. And I think that when we, um, I think when it comes to bodies, there's a lot of fear wrapped up in that body changing. Um, and I mean that in like aging, I mean that in like fluctuation of size, fluctuation of ability, um, uh, fluctuation in and out of, um, like, uh, any sort of transition in that, in a body, Mm-hmm. um, is, is, is like a frightening thing for a lot of people, I think. And I, I would challenge and, and encourage and hopefully empower us to, um, to like lean into that. Um, and, um, and I don't know, I, I don't, I don't, this is not a term I use in my book, but I'm thinking of, of the name of your podcast and kind of the theme of this conversation. And I'm thinking of like radical acceptance for, um, for that, for, for whatever your body is, um, in the moment and whatever it's going to be next. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love, love that. I radically love that (laughs) shameless plug. Um, so I started actually the podcast as a way to, um, really it was just created because I wanted to talk to people. I mean, that's really why I started it, but it comes from the ethos that we are all radically loved by God, universe, source, presence, mother nature, whatever higher power of your understanding, the universe works for us and not against us. And yeah, that's, that's part of the fabric that we are, we have the potential to be more connected and more powerful and more loving uh, when we are in a state of radical acceptance to use your word. So the final question for you is, um, how do you feel radically loved? Mm. Okay. So your question gave me goosebumps. Like, I love that question. Um, okay. I'm not going to cry, but, um, I think for me, I feel radically loved. Um, when someone uh, sees me, um, like me, who I am, um, not assumptions um, about who I am because of, of some sort of uh, stereotypical trope attached to my body. And not even, you know, sometimes I, I, I kind of sabotage my ability to be radically loved by trying to be something um, and putting up some, some of these barriers to being seen as I actually am. And so the moment when I am with someone and those barriers break down both the external and the internal, and I'm seen for me, um, in all of that mess and all of that complexity. And that person is like, I see you and I'm not leaving. I'm like, I'm here for that. 
Mm. Um, I, that makes me feel radically loved. Um, I hope I explained that right. Yes, you did. That was, yes, I love that. That's, that's deep. Oh, yes. Great. Yes. I I'm, I'm with that for sure. I always love to hear people's answers. And I always say, I love that because I do. I, I love when people express how they feel loved. I think that's the ultimate, um, source of empowerment feeling into that. It's such a good question. And it's interesting because I feel like we don't, ask, it's not one that's asked very often. Like, I don't know how often we're prompted to think about that. Um, but it's obviously like fundamental. It's that's the core. What else are we doing here? Yeah. Um, God. Yeah. And, uh, again, I didn't ask you, uh, all the questions that I wanted. So this is the, the part of the program where I get you to commit to coming back. <laughs> this so, is the best. Are you kidding? I would love oh, to be talking. Oh, yay. Um, uh, okay. So but for the people that are listening, where can they go for more information or to connect with you? They're really basically two places. My website, uh, RebeccaTossig.com and my Instagram, which is at sitting underscore pretty. Those are the places where you can always find me and contact me and learn what I'm up to. Yay. And those links will be on the show notes of this particular podcast episode. And we'll also put a link for the book so you can purchase the book there. And um, I am just so honored. And again, I'm thank you for your uh, flexibility in the scheduling in 2020. I have been looking forward to having this chat with you and I'm just, I'm really inspired by you, your story and your true authentic way of living, speaking and storytelling. So thank you so much for being a part of this radically loved family. We hope you join us again in the future. Yes, I would love to. This was truly one of my favorite conversations ever. So thank you for facilitating and creating that space for us. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us. Message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes. Write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.